Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. I'm Jeremy, by the way, if you don't know me and didn't listen to Andrew introduce me. Um, hey, so, so this month we have been jumping into the Psalms, the Psalms in September. Uh, we can thank Emily Snyder for that witty message title there, sermon title there. Um, my favorite is going to be in December. She came up with Ho Ho Hosea in December. Um, so you guys will be listening to Hosea in December. Um, and uh, I have a lot of favorite psalms. Um, there's a lot of them, but this is, this is one of my favorite. My wife, uh, who coaches me all the time on what I do when I speak, right? She even did it in between services. She had things to say to me. Um, and uh, she, she said, I couldn't do anything uh, sad or melancholy after I did offense the last time I preached, right? Like it, was, <laughs> it was really heavy and, and, and sad, so she said, no more of that. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to jump into... Uh, Psalms 136, because if you can really bring yourself to kind of firmly believe in these parts of God's character, it can change your life. Um, we got a lot of reading to do today. It is going to feel very Fran Pratt today, okay? The litanist that was with us a couple weeks ago. Um, and actually, uh, as you can see, you have uh, in yellow is what I will need you guys to say. My wife wanted for us to sing that part. Kind of, kind of like we did with Dan Wilt uh, several months ago when he brought everybody to this side of the room, and then we started humming, and he started, uh, he was telling us where to be, right? And some of you guys might have been really comfortable in that moment, but I wasn't, okay? I am not musical, and I can't sing, and I was surrounded by people that could do all those things, right? And then in the middle of that, Dan says, don't sing the nine, and I have no idea what the nine is, right? Like he kept saying that over and over. And I was thinking, I, I hope I'm just not sitting by somebody that can sing. And of course, my wife is next to me. And of course, Matt and Hannah are in front of me. And Matt's played on stage with Blake Shelton and with Billy Ray Cyrus and, and all, these, all these famous people, right? So very self-conscious. So I would tell you that this morning is for all the non-musical people, all right? No music this morning. All right, so repeat. Uh, when, I, when I do the white, you do the yellow. It's very easy. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Good job. Good job. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does, does great wonders. To him by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. We've got a lot of ways to go. Keep coming. Here we go. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. 
with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea into two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And Og, the king of Bashan. And he gave their land as a heritage. We're almost there. Keep it going. A heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Very good, guys. Very good. And I will say, by the way, we do love Dan Wilt. Dan Wilt is absolutely an amazing person. If you ever have a chance to talk to him, you should. Um, All right, so what I want to do here is I kind of want to Obviously, we, it's, it's very obvious that we say this steadfast love phrase like uh, about a thousand times there, right? And that word, that phrase right there in the Hebrew appears in the Bible 196 times, okay? Um, interestingly enough, it's mostly in the Old Testament that that word appears. We don't see that word very often in the New Testament. The New Testament kind of flips the script on us, and it goes from God's steadfast love for, steadfast love for us to how we love God and how we love other people, right? And that's kind of the basic message of the Bible distilled into just two concepts there. And so today I want to kind of jump through a couple of themes that we see uh, in in this passage of Scripture. Uh, I won't make you read it over again, so don't worry about it. We're fine. We'll go back up to the first slide here, verse 1 through 3. And this right here, this is talking about the supremacy of God. Okay, an unequaled God, but still loving. And so David says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And this intro that we have here is really, really simple. Um, This was a time in the world where there were, there were countless gods in other countries, whether it be the Philistines or the Amorites, they had, uh, they had a, probably each one of them had 10 to 20 different gods, right? A god of war, a god of, uh, of peace, a god of fertility, a god of agriculture, a god of the weather. And God shows up on the scene as a god of love, which kind of basically set him apart from all of the other gods, Right? And so God is getting this message out there that, first of all, he is a God of love in a world where there is none of that and that the gods are focused on other things aside from their love for their creation, right? Um, And this intro here, it shows us that God is supreme. David's just getting this out there for us. He is acknowledging that there is no person, spirit, angel, demon, God, like God. He reigns supreme, okay? So it's kind of the, the ticket to the entrance of this scripture here. 
There is none like him, and there will never be anyone like him. He is divine, and he is infinite in every space, reality, and time. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha and Omega. He raises kings and leaders, and he dissolves them into the sands of time. He is subject to no one. Now listen to this. Subject to no one, but yet he allows us to influence him. He allows man to influence him. And we are acknowledging that in this paramount existence that he has, his love is still committed to the human race. He's still committed to us. The second chunk of scripture that we have here, verses 4 through 9, this is a God, this is a look at the God, the creator of the worlds and solar systems. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. To the sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever, and the moon and stars to rule over the night. This God, this God, creator of worlds and solar systems and universes, he loves you and me. And when in comparison, really, to all of the other things that God created, we, we're actually really minuscule. We are really insignificant, right? In comparison to the oceans and the continents and the, and the worlds, right? We're really insignificant to that. And we don't ever find this type of language for God, any other of God's creation, okay? He doesn't use this language with any other creation. All the other things that he created, which are mighty in their own right, he never uses this language of steadfast love, okay? So this creator of worlds, he loves you and me. He created an earth so unique that he placed it 92.96 million miles away from the sun, and he set it on an axis of 23 and a half degrees. Why is it at 23 and a half degrees? That allows us to have four seasons that cultivate life, right? Spring, summer, fall, winter. And it also keeps the earth at the right temperature to maintain water, which is we send probes out into the universe. We have yet to find another planet that has anything remotely close enough to, to, to feed and to nourish you and I. Think about that. Think about that. He loves you so much, so much, that he gave you an earth where you could thrive. And he gave us dominion over everything on this earth, right? And he gave us a supreme conscience. Unlike any other creature, we have a supreme conscience. We have the ability to reason beyond our carnal urges to go hunt and kill and eat. We have the ability to think about things with a rational thought process, which is something that's 100% unique to us. He gives us an eternal spirit, and the most of all, like the biggest gift of love that he gives to you and me, is that he gave us the choice of free will. He didn't create us as slaves. He didn't create us as, as robots that automatically serve him. Think about that. He gave us the ability to choose, just like you would give your son or daughter the ability to choose whether or not they lived with you, whether or not they, they loved you, whether or not they had Christmas with you, whether or not they did any of those things. He gave us a free will. He gave us a free will. And this next uh, couple sections here is where I will probably sit down um, and, and really, really begin to absorb this. So this next section here, this is, this is verses 10 through basically 
through 26, this is, about, this is about a God that delivers us, okay? And he delivers us out of our bondage. He loves us enough to show us a way out of that bondage. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant Israel. And then right here in these next verses here, we talked about deliverance, and this is where we're going to sit down here. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, remembered us when we were weak. He rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven. And this is where I'm going to sit down for a little bit. We're going to sit down and we're going to pull this apart. Um, Because this gets to the nitty gritty of what it is to be a human, right? Deliverance from bondage, low estate, weakness, all in these sections. And really, our humanity can be really ugly. Our humanity can be really ugly, guys. And... God is dealing with that right here. So to kind of drive this home, I'm going to tell you a story. It's not, it's not a Charlotte message unless there's a story. All right, and a few months ago, I kind of told you guys, um, I told you guys about our first Sunday here at the Vineyard, which had its own occurrences, and then our first dinner with Adam and Heather, which was uh, unique in its own right. Um, what if I told you the story got just better? River, you're going to love this. What if I told you the story got better like a month later, because it did. Um, I had this idea that I was going to, I need to make a good impression on my pastor, right? Like, just got to. And one of the things that we connected really quick on was Kentucky sports, right? Like, and it's pretty much, River's probably, what, 50% of what we talk about right now? Yeah, maybe 75, River says 75. He's probably right, okay? So we connected on it, and I had this idea that in 2012, I'm going to buy tickets to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. And I'm going to see if Adam will go with me, okay? And so Adam, to my shock, I didn't really even know him yet at this point. He goes with me, right? He's like, oh, I'll go with you. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to make a good impression on Adam. It's going to set up my whole vineyard career, right? Like, I I am ready for this. And uh, if you know me, you know that I, I don't need any extra juice to be psychotic during a Kentucky game. I don't need any. But 2012 was a unique year. This is, of course, the year that we won our title. Um, but this is also the year that this happened, and Brittany has been with me all day. You are amazing. Thank you, Brittany. This is the year that Christian Watford hit the last second shot at Indiana and beat Kentucky, and then the whole freaking arena flooded the floor. Anybody? Huh? Go Hoosiers. We've got an Indiana fan here this morning, which means i got to be careful about what i got to say next because I had something written a lot different than that. Okay. All right. So... This was, uh, this was the year that this happened, and it was replayed and replayed and replayed and replayed, and this was the year after I decided to go to Bloomington with my father-in-law to watch John Wall's team play Indiana, okay? It was the most miserable Saturday of my life. I will never go back to Bloomington, ever. Stuff thrown at us, stuff, it was nuts, right? Okay, so I don't need any extra juice, Well, who are we going to play in the Sweet 16 this year? Indiana, all right? 
All right, so we get into the Georgia Dome. There's like 50,000 people. Me and Adam got great seats. We're like 10 rows up, right? Right beneath the basket. We've got incredible seats. Everybody is going nuts, right? The place is going nuts. And then this happened. Anthony Davis, look at that block. Khalil, this is, not, this is a block that strips your manhood, okay? That is, a, that is a, and I'm right here. I'm like right underneath the basket. So I'm worked up at this point, guys. I'm really, really worked up. Well, right after this block, Darius Miller does this thing here that I'm going to show you guys. And I have no idea what that means. But I do know that it triggered something psychotic inside of me, okay? And Adam is sitting to my left, and something very, very unfortunate happened right after Darius did this X, okay? Indiana calls a timeout, but it was too late because I was already jumping up out of my seat, right? And I jump up out of my seat, and I say, your coach is something really, really inappropriate. I can't say it on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and the whole arena is quiet, right? And everybody turns around and looks at me in the face, right? And I'm sitting there. I have to stop my mind. I can't possibly look at Adam right now, right? Like, there is, there is no way that I can look at Adam. Well, unfortunately... The 12-year-old's dad that was in front of me was giving me such a stare that I had to turn and look at Adam, right? And so I turn and I look at Adam and I was super ashamed, guys. I was super ashamed. Like my whole vineyard career was destroyed in just a matter of two seconds, right? And I look over to Adam and I didn't know what he was going to say. It's like, what is Adam going to say? I don't even really know Adam, but, you know, I don't, I don't have any idea what he's going to say. And Adam kind of looked at me. And he's smiling just a little bit, and he said, not your best moment, Jer Bear. <laughs> not your best moment, Jer Bear. And I thought there's a lot of things pastors could do at that point. I thought maybe he'd leave the game. I thought maybe he would kind of chastise me or, hey, what in the world is wrong with you, boy? And uh, he didn't do any of those things. And we watched the rest of the game and I kid you not, I was so ashamed that I sat with my legs crossed like this for the rest of the game. I didn't say a word. We went to the next game, the lead eight. I didn't say a word. I just sat there, right? And so I, the game is over at this point, and we're walking back to our hotel room, okay? We're walking back to our hotel room. It's like 1230. It's like midnight. It's past midnight. It's dark, downtown Atlanta. Probably our first mistake. I don't know that we should have been walking back to the hotel room. This is a good 25-minute walk. Um, and so we're walking. I'm thinking this whole time. I'm thinking, man, he's going to say something about this. I, it's like this awkward silence. What's he going to say? Right? And uh, just, about, just about that time, we passed like this bar, and there was this alleyway. And out of this dark alleyway comes this voice and says, hey! And of course, me, I'm not very smart. I just stopped, right? And I turned. And of course, out of the darkness comes this big dude. He's like 6'5". He said, hey! And I was like, yes, can I help you? And he says, hey, did you win? And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, we won. Yes, we did, kind sir. Like, I got real formal and appropriate. I don't know how that was going to help me. Um, and he said, well, who do you guys play next? And I said, I think we play Baylor. Is that right, Adam? Adam? <laughs> Adam. Adam was gone. That joker left me in a second. <laughs> Boom. He was gone, right? And I, I was sitting there, and I was just like, 
are you kidding me, Adam? So like all this CrossFit that he does, River, it finally came to a point where he could use it, right? And he was so gone, right? And so I use this, illust- this silly illustration here, guys, to, to, kind, of, to kind of frame up a, a concept for you. And our perception of God is probably that he is a lot more like the alleyway desertion Adam, right, than he was the pastor who did not leave me when I said something highly, highly inappropriate, okay? And we expect that when difficulty arises and when the sledding gets tough that God and others will abandon us. And there is something about enduring love or really anything enduring that is fiercely against our human nature, And I think it's the fact that enduring, consistent, constant, perpetual, whatever you want to call it, at its core is hard. If if his love is steadfast, that means it will endure many things, and it will endure countless tests of its resilience. This love will face dishonesty. It will face unfaithfulness. It will face transgression. It will face pain. It will face the worst of pain the kind of pain that rips the humanity out of your body, and it will even face death. And despite all those things, it will be steady. His love will continue in our weakness. Passage says, It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. And despite all those things, it will be steady. It will be steady. Because... Guys, let me let you know that God hasn't run from anything in all of human existence. We as humans run. We value self-preservation, but God isn't concerned with self-preservation. The psalmist is telling us that God doesn't run away from our bondage or our oppression. He runs to it to deliver us. And often the, the most significant hindrance to us really believing that God's love is this steady, that this God's love is to deliver us and to come to us in our weakness, is that our, our image of God is often a reflection of how we see ourselves and how we see other people. So for a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. What human interactions and life experiences have shaped your view of God's love for you? What has shaped God, your view of God's love? And let's try to begin to reshape that this morning, okay? And one way we can begin to reshape our view of God's love is to accept that when I'm making a fool of myself and I am weak, that God is not moving away from me, okay? He is not distancing himself from me. In your weakness, he is made strong, and he sees an opportunity. God is 100% in the business of buying into your life at its lowest, and he doesn't sell when it gets high, guys. He buys low, he restores, he, move, he multiplies, and then he starts all over. Why? Why does God do this? Because God cares infinitely more about people than he does rules. We need to hear that this morning. God cares infinitely more about people than he does rules. And even though in our religious circles we place rules above things like grace and empathy and kindness and forgiveness, he cares much more about the overall arc of your life than he does your failures in individual moments. And even though we change a thousand times, God hasn't changed once. He hasn't changed once. 
He is consistent and he is steady across time. The second way that you can redefine your understanding of God's love is to realize that your sin doesn't surprise him. It doesn't surprise him, guys. Do you think that over the course of eternity that God hasn't seen someone do that thing? Do you think he hasn't seen someone do that thing? Two of the most prominent figures in the Bible, David, Saul, both of those guys had some of the messiest lives that you have ever seen. Andrew did a great job two Sundays ago talking about David the adulterer with Bathsheba, right? David the adulterer who, who, had, who is with a woman that is not married to him and has a husband, uh, and then David realizes that he's made a mistake, okay? And then he, he asks her husband to come off out of war, to come home, so that maybe, maybe that would be the explanation as to why she conceived, right? That doesn't work, and his plan gets even worse, and then at a point, to keep anybody from learning about what he's done, he decides, I'm going to send her husband out onto the front lines. And when he gets out in the front lines, I want everyone to pull back from him, okay? So imagine that. He's out on the front lines, and every soldier around him leaves him. And sure enough, what David wanted to happen, happened. He dies, right? Saul. We're introduced to Saul. Do you know the first time we see Saul in scriptures? Do you know where he's at? He's at the stoning of Stephen, okay? His full-time job was to kill Christians. He went from city to city. He found Christians, and he had them stoned to death, okay? Those two guys ended up being the two most influential people in scripture. David wrote the Psalms as a New York Times bestseller forever, right? And Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so if God can love those guys and gals, then he can love us, right? He can love us. And know this, know this, that even in your, even in your lowest moment, I'm going to change the language here a little bit. You know that he remains steadfast and he's unfailing. And when, when you're wallowing in your mess and you've done something that, Deserve, you deserve to be ashamed for that 100% guarantee, yes, you should be ashamed for that. Jesus is going to say, that wasn't our best moment, Jeremy. But I know that we can and we will do better. And so what he's saying to you this morning. May not be your best moment, may not be our best moment, but he can and he will stay with you to do better. Would you guys go ahead and stand with me? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of The Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at The Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>